You are listening to Future Voices, a podcast brought to you by Beha Futures Foundation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Futures Voices podcast. Today, we have an executive with business and technology background, leading an organization with more than several thousand employees. He has 20 years of experience in IT, networks, transformation, agile program management, innovation and security in multinational organizations over 25 countries and eight industries. Today on the other line, we're welcoming Borislav Tadic from Germany and please do not mistaken him with Boris Tadic, the former president of Serbia. <laughs> Hello, Borislav. Good morning. <laughs> nice to speak to you. I, and also welcome Eddie from, uh, from Australia again. What's the time, Eddie? It's late in the afternoon. I'll say good day, everyone from down under. <laughs> well, I have to say that uh, Borislav is a senior vice president at Deutsche Telekom. Can you imagine that we are talking like a person from, who's working at such a high position at Deutsche Telekom? And um, he's a leading, te- leading telecommunications provider uh, with presence in Europe, USA, if you have heard of T-Mobile, and over 50 countries globally. Borislav was born in Banja Luka. We have again a person from Banja Luka, and he obtained his Master of Science degree with distinction in software engineering and business management and Bachelor of Science degree in knowledge management from University of Technology in Graz, Austria. Borislav is also a holder of numerous awards and certifications, uh, 30 leaders under 30 uh, talent space, uh, global talent, sponsor and coach of numerous European young talent, uh, talent initiatives, as well as a president and member of several nonprofit, academic and professional organizations, such as the Tesla Center, uh, Graz Center of Excellence in Graz. As if his life is not busy enough, Borislav is currently also pursuing a PhD in the domain of social informatics at the University of Siegen in Germany, focusing on digital enablement and protection of global social political movements. We don't have time to to number them all, so please, Borislav, uh, I don't know how you manage all of this, but I'm gonna give the floor to Eddie to give you a challenge to make this quick. <laughs> Go yeah, on, Eddie. Thanks for the opportunity, Aida. And uh, Borislav, you you are the first. Let's say you're the guinea pig of our new experiment with the podcast, where we're gonna challenge myself and you to get through 20 questions in a relatively short time. I thought about 20 questions, 20 seconds, but I thought that would have really been pushing. Uh, the limits here. But let's see how, how we do with the first 20 questions. And the purpose of this is really for our audience to get to know you with questions that you may not get asked so frequently because of your professional work that you do. So let's see how we go. So question number one, who is your biggest hero? Great inspiration is, of course, my dad. <laughs> but I have to say, uh, from historical perspective, I, I, would, I would look at uh, Leonardo da Vinci. If you could live anywhere, where would it be? I would probably live uh, somewhere in the southern uh, state, somewhere the Mediterranean coast, I believe. And uh, I plan to do that at a certain point in time. What's your biggest fear? Uh, getting bored. What would you change about yourself if you could? Probably many things. But honestly, I think uh, we should enjoy life as it is and with the cards we have been dealt with. What really makes you angry and frustrates you? Uh, I would say non-understanding on, or non-empathy. Yeah? I think that makes me, makes me crazy sometimes. What's your favorite food from back home, back from Bosnia? Banyalushki, show up. What makes you laugh the most? Uh, uh, positive people, yeah? They don't have to tell jokes. They just need to be positive and open. What's your favorite sports team? Borac Banyaluka. What is your favorite music genre? Uh, that's a hard one. <laughs> I would say absolutely everything. Good music doesn't know the genre, so everything from rock to techno. Have you ever had a nickname and what is it? Uh, people now mostly call me Boris. Uh, there was a funny phase where they called me Tadia. <laughs> if you could go back in time to change one thing, what would it be? I would probably uh, make the transition uh, uh, earlier from the Balkans, not in sense of going out and, let's say, under uh, uh, quote-unquote uh, escaping, but uh, basically earlier uh, grabbing certain opportunities, which would, of course, open the opportunity to maybe return earlier. Yeah? What's the longest you've gone without sleep? I would say 48 hours. What's your all-time favorite movie? Uh, that's, again, a difficult one. Uh, I would probably go with um, La Vita e Bella. Um, um, I think it's a fantastic movie. Do you collect anything? And if, if you do, what? 
I did as a kid, I uh, collected the, the different uh, uh, paper currencies uh, from around the world. Now, simply, uh, there's less time to do that, but probably at some point in time, I'll again reactivate it. What was your first job? My first job um, was actually, I would say, as a, as a mini journalist, um, where we were producing a school magazine. And as I think my first uh, Bosnian marks I earned with that. <laughs> What's your favorite part of Banja Luka? Uh, favorite part is where uh, I grew uh, uh, grew up. That's basically a center too, uh, close to Nova Varos. I have to also say uh, I, I really enjoyed the, the beautiful uh, landscape between the, the Green Bridge and the City Bridge um, uh, with the Verbas, uh, Verbas River on the left side. Your favorite author? My favorite author uh, would be, I think the, the, the one I always, I mean, Paulo Coelho is one of the, the, the favorites. Uh, but I said, it, there's very, very many of them. Maybe from our uh, uh, area, of course, Ivo Andrić. What's the best gift that you've ever been given? Time. Lots of it. When I get unexpectedly time, that's the <laughs> greatest gift. What would you do if you won the lottery? I would probably try to uh, um, free up a part of my calendar, part of my schedule, but I will probably continue living normally. And lastly, how long does it take you to get ready in the morning? Five minutes, literally five minutes. Quick shower, uh, brushing my teeth, and uh, already I'm there. <laughs> okay, perfect. There we have it. 20 questions with Borislav Tadic. I'm going to now hand it back to Aida for some of the more serious stuff. Oh, my God. Firstly, I was a bit disappointed because I was hoping so much that with favorite music, you would say XU, but then you made it up with Paulo Coelho and with Ivo Andrić. <laughs> <laughs> Now we can talk. <laughs> but interestingly, uh, one of my questions actually was uh, referring to uh, what you mentioned as you said you started your career, kind of you earned your first marks with journalism. You didn't start working in a, as an engineer or so. You started actually as a journalist in a media, media company. Can you tell us actually something about your beginnings? Of course, uh, gladly. First, this, this first answer to, to Eddie's question was, um, I remember it very well. We were, I think, um, the fifth grade uh, in the elementary school. And basically, uh, a couple of us, uh, great guys and girls, uh, um, decided to make a, a school magazine. So, you know, we, we didn't make it with the purpose of, of selling it, although we sold, I think, a couple of examples uh, in 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 the whole, or a couple of couple of paperbacks in 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 in, uh, in the in the classroom, but it was more of of you know producing something, you know producing something, especially you know like when you're young, you know all these small things you want to be something, you want to be in sense of you want to be you do like the grown ups do, you know, and then therefore we we started a small, it was I think twelve page, I think I think still I have somewhere the the original, and we even painted the. The, the front cover, you know, like uh, by our own hands, you know, so, so basically uh, uh, that was a great impulse that you can see that something that was not provided by the school or organized by our parents or by some third party, that we as kids could produce something that was raising interest, being commented, being, uh, you know, like enjoy, and, and basically from that, we did that, I think once a year, we produced it uh, in, in elementary school, and then, you know, like that fired up. I would say my interest in generally in journalism, you know. So I was really, really thinking about going into the media full time. Uh, also, through through my career, um, I remember in 2000 we launched a so-called Voodoo Team. If you remember that favorite techno song from the time, you know, like uh, it, there was a Voodoo Team uh, team, and basically we were producing a website. And I have to say, you know, at that time it was sad uh, at the same time and interesting that we produced i think even 1999 we already had the the website going i think the first real internet users um in banyaluka appeared in 1996 there were a couple of university users probably even before that but 1996 was the year where internet appeared there was like literally 50 to 100 internet enthusiasts in the first year and then it started uh, slowly growing and i remember you know producing a website at the time you know it was quite difficult. You didn't have good connection. Uh, you didn't have uh, um, uh, resources. You didn't even have enough, uh, I would say, materials to learn and to develop from. Uh, and we produced a portal and we tried try to also to, to produce articles on that. And then um, in uh, somewhere uh, 1990, uh, 1998 uh, already, 
Um, I had a great opportunity that was given to me by a late colleague. I have to say he was 10 years older than me, but passed, uh, passed out. He was a great guy. Um, um, he offered an opportunity to, to make my own broadcast, you know, something way before. Uh, so it, it became, let's say, mainstream. And now in, in our country and in the region, we have many, many talented journalists also reporting in tech, IT and, 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 and telecommunications. At the time, there was none, and I said it was a great honor to, as a kid, you know, as a teenager, to get an opportunity to to produce something like a one-hour uh, show. It was Sundays. Uh, I remember it because every weekend I had to invest like several hours preparing my texts and everything while my colleagues were or my friends were playing or, or going out. I was preparing this uh, during the day. Of course, I went out also in some evening hours, but... Once every Sunday, uh, uh, I was doing this for several years, and then many other journalists or media opportunities came. Yeah, so I had honor to collaborate with uh, uh, with Media Center in Sarajevo, with uh, Media Plan, with uh, Irix Pro Media, uh, with um, uh, BBC Consulting, and many others. Uh, working with more than 300 journalists in uh, Bosnia Herzegovina, where I was uh, one of the trainers in the computer assisted reporting program. That was a great experience. I learned a lot about the, the people, about the, how to train people, how to bring someone who's not so IT savvy, uh, uh, the skills and the, and, and the interest in, in the IT. And basically through that, you know, and hold the, the whole time in parallel, yeah, already in, 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 from 1994, I was programming, yes, in basic and everything else. So somehow I try to always connect the passions for IT and for the media. And I'm, somehow I have to also admit fully honestly that somehow I'm, I am happy uh, that, uh, that uh, I didn't uh, became a journalist <laughs> simply for pragmatical and practical reasons. I think that IT opened me way more uh, uh, opportunities and, uh, and of course enabled my career in a significant way. But I really very much respect everything that, I mean, in, with this podcast you two are doing, but also many, many uh, other great people in every kind of media uh, uh, throughout the region and throughout the world. It's a great, it's a great contribution to the world. It's fascinating. Your, I guess, uh, work ethic is obviously very clear from the fact that you were spending time on weekends curating the content while perhaps others were having fun. But I guess uh, when you're doing that work and others are having fun, you're getting an edge on other people by getting more experience. But what do you think led you to the career that you have today? Obviously, this combination of you know, programming, learning on your own and, you know, picking up things along the way and the media. How did those two things fuse to essentially give you the skills that enabled you to get to where you are today at Deutsche Telekom? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, I have to say it's a really a mix of things. If I, could, if, if I would have to point out one thing, that would be probably very, very difficult. Uh, I have to say first, you mentioned it already, when you know that something has to be done, yeah, in order for you or your or your friends, your family, for your environment. Um, if you know that you have to do it, it doesn't make sense to procrastinate or to think a lot about it and think why it's so hard, why it's so, is it really necessary to challenge yourself? But it's simply, it's simply necessary to do it. So uh, the best part was like always setting up certain goals, you know, also according to this, you know, famous smart logic that you say that something is also realistic and achievable. And then going through with it, you know, and it's most, you know, people, people often think about the big bang, you know, it's more, uh, it's more about having, not having a sprint, it's more of a marathon. And I always say that because it's like many, many, many small steps, which lead you in the, in the direction of a certain career. Um, and uh, one of them is, as I said, to, to really hard work. Uh, even though, of course, um, I was happy and glad that I came from the family where also the intellect was, was uh, I would say, uh, uh, something that, that we invested in and, and, and all read, uh, read a lot, discussed a lot. We had an open, uh, a very, very open relation in, in, in many aspects, not only within the family, but also circle of my friends. You know, we, I remember us as kids, you know, discussing the, the Egyptian pyramids or um, uh, discussing something else. So this was something that that basically was there. But honestly, you have so many smart people uh, in the southeastern Europe, but they're all not successful. Why? Not not that they're all not successful. That that some of them are not successful, although they are intelligent. Why? Because this is uh, something that's a prerequisite. This is one of the elements. It's not. 
the, the solution to the problem. It's not this one single thing enabling career. Second thing which comes on top of, if you have already a talent and someone has a, I don't know, intellect as a talent, uh, a strong intellect, someone has a, a perseverance, someone has a sport, uh, amazing physique or something else, whatever you identify as a talent, then there are two things which come up. One is the hard work. Yeah? Second thing is, besides hard work, is basically the attitude. How you perceive the environment around yourself. What I always try to do, independent in which life situation I was, especially in the last 20 years, is to say I'm not the smartest person in the room. If I am, of course, you know, the, the saying, then I'm not in the right room. I need to learn and I can learn from many people uh, around me. That doesn't have to be my peer or someone that has a similar path that can be easily a person who's, uh, I don't know, intern doing something. That's why I find it fantastic what, what the foundation is doing with uh, numerous students and, and intelligent people. Because from every of these people, uh, from every person, from every group, from every, uh, uh, from during every of my travels, you know, different groups of people and cultural backgrounds, I mean, from everyone, you can learn something. So be like a sponge and, you know, try to inhale uh, or try to, you know, like take as much of, of that. And that combined with hard work, so with this open attitude, with, of course, certain prerequisites that you recognize your talent, that you that you work on it, I think all of these small steps, you know, and then I would say spiced up with a bit of luck. I have to say there are many people who had all three elements here, which are hardworking, which are intelligent, which are... Um, uh, really dedicated and open-minded, but they simply were at the wrong place at the wrong time or haven't been uh, given an opportunity, they haven't been noticed or they haven't uh, uh, came into the position that they can change something. And, and that, is, uh, uh, that is sad, but it happens. It's simply like uh, science says, you know, it's a, a principle of randomness and in certain principles of randomness, which you can, of course, spice up, it's, it's important that you are there, that you're present and that you use up, use the opportunity which is given to you and be grateful for it because, you know, you, you, you've been lucky and maybe someone else hasn't been lucky. I hope that all of the people listening, especially the students of the Beha Futures Foundation are taking notes on this, especially to note how to use their talents and how that how anything any any work that they do at this current moment regardless of whether they think it's just random or just a hobby may actually benefit them and become an advantage sometimes in the future and uh just now to go on with the questions in uh, 2011 you joined uh, deutsche telekom as a regional security manager how did you develop into that position and what was crucial to get there um, the, the important element at the time was um, first to be open. And I have to say that was one of the, 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 the most challenging uh, decisions I had to make. Why? Uh, prior to that, I was living in Zurich. And in Zurich, I had a great job of, uh, I was a strategic consultant, management consultant, traveled throughout the Central and Eastern Europe, worked with an amazing, intelli intelligent, uh, active uh, 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 open-minded team of, of young professionals. To, they all made great careers, uh, meanwhile, and they were extremely international, and I really uh, uh, thrived in that environment. It, it was fantastic, yeah? So, and then, basically, one of the projects I've, did, uh, I've done at the time, basically, uh, was in security area, and I have to say, and this is also maybe a good hint, you know, for some, some of the people listening to this, security, I have to say, was one of the least favorite um, um, subjects at the university. I didn't like it. I have to say, I, I have to say, it was like really a pain. Yeah, I have to say, uh, I remember uh, programming some security routines. Uh, I remember reading about the concept of concepts of cryptography or something else, and I didn't like it. There were so many other things which made way, way more fun. And then, you know, like going, you know, speeding up, going fast forward a couple of years, being in a consultancy role in a security market, which was very, let's say, new at the time, green at the time, basically it offered me this small thing, which I didn't like during the, the, the studies time. I, I, I leveraged it into something that basically really speeded up my career, uh, being a, someone who understood the security standards like ISO 27000 or um, um, uh, process-related topics, something like in the COVID world, ITIL world, around the, the security, 
practically filling up one gap, which was huge in the market. Now it's better, but now it's still a good career path to go into the security and cybersecurity. And then basically working in the security domain, there was a, a, a topic of setting up uh, an international security governance for Deutsche Telekom, for all of our European and uh, other international subsidiaries at the, at, at the time. And I was asked to, to, to follow or to support this project. I remember we were like a small team, three men, uh, uh, two person team uh, working on, working with a, at that time, um, relatively new manager, which was given up a task in telecom, um, vice president was given a task to, to deal with that. And basically, after working several months together, he uh, approached me and he said, would you like uh, to work with me or for me in my team? Uh, you would be a regional manager and you would take over more responsibility over time. Um, I said it was challenging because at the time I was already slowly building up my, not only my network, but my friend's circle, my life, let's say a central point of my life was focused on Zurich and Switzerland. I enjoyed the nature there. I enjoyed the the the, the opportunities and, 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 and culture simply in sense of like, you know, like amazing theaters, opera, old, uh, uh, old habits. And, and I was simply trying getting into that world. And then basically this opportunity arrived. And then I started thinking, you know, if I'm going to do it, I should do it now. Now I'm young at the time, you know, like uh, uh, I was between the, the relationships and basically, so I was like basically completely free to go and to live anywhere. And I said, why not? Come on. Eh? I can always go back to Zurich if I want. And uh, I took this step. I took this uh, leap. Um, and uh, it was a good decision. And I have to maybe give, give you a follow-up story what happened from that. Going there, taking over that responsibility, the project was great. We, we worked uh, uh, amazingly together for a couple of months. But then suddenly this VP decided to leave yeah, for personal reasons. And they were quite tough, I have to say. So he decided to leave the company. So for me, it was a shock. I was thinking like, come on, I changed the country. I changed my personal circle. I came into the city where I accept the people from work. I don't know anyone and, and everything else. And uh, now you're leaving, you know, come on, give me a break, you know? So that was my initial reaction. However, I was approached with, from, uh, from a senior vice president at the time who said, would you be interested to first temporarily, internally, you know, on an interim basis, take over this vice president position. So through that, I became responsible uh, for something that, that was really big and, and very important at the, the point where I was still almost, uh, I would say, a fresh, I'll not say a kid, but very, very young professional. And of course, so, so we turned it something that was, I would say, not a pleasant thing uh, at the time that turned into a great opportunity and great opportunity to, to grow yeah, and develop. It's just fantastic. I mean, obviously, there was an opportunity there, and sometimes things happen by chance, and you seize the moment and you take advantage of that. So kudos to you. And now, at Deutsche Telekom, you've held so many different roles, and I don't even want to go through all of them, but I'm just going to name a couple to give people a better idea about how you tend to move up in organizations and the fact that good work is recognized in management. So uh, you've been Senior Manager at the Center for Strategic Projects, Senior Vice President for Technology North, and you've led numerous projects, you know, millions and millions of euros in projects, lots of different employees in the organization, lots of different people who report directly to you. So let's talk a little bit about people skills here, because you don't just learn that at school. How, do, how have you learned to manage people across different portfolios, different ethnicities, different, I guess, languages as well, as a, as a matter of fact, different personalities that come in and play different roles? How do you manage such a diverse portfolio of people and products and services and manage to stay sane. <laughs> Whether I'm sane, we can discuss about it. But, no, as a joke aside, uh, the, the uh, one, if you start from something, start with listening. True, honest, open listening to the people, observing with your eyes, feeling, yeah? uh, 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 literally use your, your sense of smell, yeah? If someone says, look, these offices are not good, you, you, you don't have to listen to that or don't have to, to take that as an email. You have to go there and see, if, see for yourself how the situation is. If the people are saying, you know, look, in my office, there is a, there is a I don't know, it's, it's always cold. Then, then basically you can feel it with your, you know, like you, you can feel the temperature. You can see if they say the, the open space, the new cool future workers open space is too loud. 
then you have to check it for yourself, take your laptop, sit into that environment, do your work and see if it fits for you. If it fits for you, then you can say, okay, then maybe the, the some of the comments are, are not appropriate. But if it if it's loud for you, then you have to do, do something about it. So start with people listening. And this helped me in different environments, you know. I enjoyed after, uh, um, before, uh, 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 joining the data data protection uh, uh, compliance and legal department in the domain of strategy. On that, so so so, they, so to say, before that step, I was uh, working in Africa for uh, for a while and also working in Silicon Valley for a while. And I can tell you that the you can imagine comparing the work habits and uh, approach to life and work, and also cultural different uh, cultural aspects in let's say Sudan where I was working or in Brunei, or in, in the Silicon Valley, also again with uh, comparing it to Germany, it's completely different. And the only thing is there, you can read so many books, and it's good to read maybe a, a book or an instruction manual on just to know the basic stuff. Of course, read a bit about the history and the background of the people and the cultural group where you're going, it's important. But when you go there, even more important is to look at your colleagues, look at your even bosses, look at your employees, observe and see how they act, what's important for them, what kind of routines and rituals they have, how do they discuss things, how do they decide things, and try to fit in. That doesn't mean that you have to accept every environment as it is, because there would be no change if it's that. Of course, you have you go there very often with the change mandate, yeah? But it's very important that, that you, before you do big major decision, especially those decisions which are not reversible, that you listen, observe, as I said, use all of your senses, to get into the environment so that you understand the people. And of course, to learn from everyone you can. And I said, it's not important if it's a junior position, junior analyst, if it's a, a C-level uh, executive, it's important that you observe, uh, observe, learn, uh, you know, like, and, and, and from those experiences, of course, over when you build the trust with your environment, whether it's your leadership team, or if it's your talent circle, or if it's your civil, a silver liner organization, that means the employees which are older than 50 uh, or 55, you need to sometimes put simply the, 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 the line below and say, okay, look, I learned this and I think we should do this. What do you think? How should we approach it? And if you gain the buy-in from the people, not overselling them, but just gain, gain the buy-in um, that these things are important for them, for you, for the customers, which is the reason for the for us in the corporate world to be there, for the shareholders, for the society, such as the topic of the CO2 reduction and uh, environmentally friendly topics, then you've achieved your goal and you perfected your skills and you can adapt to any, any uh, environment which is there. Given that you have traveled so many countries uh, across the globe and you've seen so many different cultures and uh, you've also witnessed, I assume, how change happens in different countries and across diff uh, different cultures. In this regard, I want to mention also the fact that aside from you being a really great professional, you're also uh, academically active and you have published articles on different topics. So um, from different spheres, you can actually maybe give us an insight into uh, the process of digitalization. Now that we have a big challenge in Bosnia and Herzegovina when it comes to the process of digitalization, can you give us in kind of a few in a few lines what the greatest challenges are and how to overcome? And if you can draw a parallel, how change happens in other countries? Like, is it a top-down approach? Is it, uh, do companies push the government? Or like, can you can you maybe give us some insight? Of course, of course. Um, different countries have, of course, different approaches, but I said there is a silver, I think there is a, there is a line there uh, which you can observe uh, in most of the successful environments. Number one is, and that's a, that's a great aspect of your question where you say, is it, a, let's say a top-down approach or so? The, the best approach is basically a mixed approach. That means the government, public structures, society is willing and honestly willing, not because it's a trend and fashionable in many countries, but they're really honestly dedicated to digitize both the services and to help the digital industry in the country. This is the first step. So this readiness. This readiness is not only the, the readiness which is uh, promoted through the media, through the public uh, information channels, uh, etc. But it's really something that they can make tangible in sense of saying, like, look, I want to digitize the 
the, the, the offices, uh, shelter service, I want to do this and that. So if they start doing that, that's already a right message. Second topic is the topic of skilling. As most of the universities are still public in, 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 in the Southeastern Europe, um, it's a task of the, the, the ministries and, and the responsible persons to look what can we do? How can we enable these universities? And I think, I'm sure that Eddie has uh, thousands of, of ideas how, how this could be done. Is basically to empower the universities to offer to offer the, the top education to, to modernize the, the curriculum, to look at the, the areas where any any subject can be digitized, independent if it's architectural photography. Yeah. So I remember that I even took that subject as a free choice subject at the university. Architectural photography, I remember we were doing that with, with older cameras. Yeah? So, so to say, now you can do the same thing, although it doesn't have per se anything to do with IT or informatics. You can do that, of course, with a digital camera. You can do it even with your phone if you know the, the, to, 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 you know the rules right and everything. So enable not only the faculty of informatics, but also faculty of economics or social sciences or uh, 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 microbiology or machinery to apply and use IT. So that basically IT goes into the every, sphore, uh, every, every pore of every, um, um, uh, of every intellectual, of every uh, academic that, that uh, is produced by universities. Yeah? And I have to say that some private universities are even faster at this. I don't say, I don't compare the quality left to right. There are good and bad apples on, on every side, but I have to say, there is uh, uh, simply that in, in some environments it's easier to change the subjects and the and the, and the curriculum, but also the individual professors and the guest speakers, etc., to motivate people. So if you have the, the readiness of the state, if you have the readiness of the universities, and if the state, of course, and it's not the case often in in many countries in Southeastern Europe that the that the government really has enough means, financial means, to invest. Yeah? Then the, the third part is, of course, the, the, are, are the expert itself, the industry itself, the commercial sector itself, which says, look, I don't need uh, you know, like to wait until the state provides me with uh, uh, pre all the prerequisites. I don't even need to wait that the universities are producing enough skilled, uh, 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 skilled experts. I want to start by myself. I will uh, start up. I will set up the team. I will uh, learn from 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 others, or I'll teach the the the, the newbies basically in the basic skills. There are so many materials online uh, in English language, but also in the local in the various local languages uh, spoken throughout the the southern and eastern Europe. So basically, there's no reason not why not to do it, why not to start. What would what is perfect if you ask me for the second part of your question was mostly about the models. You know, when I look at it, very successful model. Uh, is the model um, which you can see, for example, uh, in, in, in uh, United States, in uh, Germany, in Israel, in some other countries, where you have basically something something similar to for every euro you invest or dollar you invest, you get uh, uh, one dollar from the country. And you're offer, you've got certain uh, uh, tax uh, uh, or certain subsidies, tax relaxations for uh, certain domains, let's say for the first year or for the first three years. Then you get like uh, um, uh, certain benefits if you employ people who are young uh, IT professionals or unemployed persons. If you provide unemployed persons with IT background, with the IT skills, you can also uh, combine that and simply continue to invest. I mean, I was uh, continue to invest, and it doesn't have to be a rich country. I have to say that, for example, if you take uh, uh, compare something that our country can be compared to, especially some years ago, um, Estonia. You know, coming out of uh, uh, USSR um, with economy which was really, really uh, in a bad shape, they simply made a conscious decision to go for digitization and. Now they're wonder they're they're so good that many way more developed countries are having a, a digital cooperation. That they have cyber ambassadors, they have cyber defense, they have uh, they begin with programming in, in I don't know in I, I don't know it by by heart, but I think it's already a fifth grade or fourth grade or even earlier. Um, and and basically they are producing the people. And you know the interesting aspect was something that's applicable you know like to, to also to some other countries, even Germany, not only. Bosnia-Herzegovina, but also Germany, where um, they decided to stop some classical physical services, simply to make them unavailable. 
So that brought people out of the comfort zone. So they said like, okay, if I cannot go to the typical building and do my paperwork, how do I do it? So even let's say the people who are not so IT savvy were in a way forced to ask for help or speak with friends to enable certain services, let's say to order certain cards or to fill out certain forms, et cetera. And through that, basically you brought the society and the digital market to a level where it become became self-sustainable. And then from that, when the fire is burning, then you just need to add the wood uh, continuously in a, in a smaller form so that everyone keeps warm. And I think that would be one of the recipes for uh, potential development of the digital industry in, in our region as well. Brilliant, just brilliant. I mean, I was just uh, smiling the whole time while you were talking then. I think Aida was doing much the same because Everything you just outlined there goes very closely in line with what we're trying to do with Bosnia Herzegovina Futures Foundation, and that is, you know, taking action, uh, not waiting for someone else to make that change, but you have to be part of that change. And that empowerment of people and realizing that you have to do something about this. It's your problem like it is your next door neighbors and everyone else's taking that action, I think, is the key uh, thing that I would pull out of that. That is look around the world. We have access to information like we've never had it before. There's no excuse. We have access to all that information globally. So there's no excuse for you know not having the same information that the person in the US, the UK, Australia has for that matter. And what we do is create a parallel world besides the one that's currently operational institutions and operate through that world until you create critical mass. And then that change just tends to fold over and take over. And there's so many great examples. I'm glad that you mentioned Estonia. We've talked about this on our podcast before. But what I'm curious to know, Borislav, is uh, because of because of the so many people that you've worked with and interaction with the different cultures, uh, which cultural, I guess, pros and cons would you pull out of what you've seen around the world that you would hope the people in former Yugoslavia need to start adapting to? Because you know, uh, we're very traditional in our region. <clears throat> Not everyone, of course, but most people are. And one of my very good friends in Belgrade said to me, you know, our, our greatest fault is that we're so focused on tradition, it doesn't allow us to overcome certain challenges that tradition is sort of, you know, holding with a ball and chain. So given the fact that you've traveled around the world, you've seen everything, which of these values, cultural values, do you think we need to start adapting to uh, rather than just saying, no, this is the way we've always done it? The, probably the first step would be to, to simply start being a bit more open-minded, you know. Um, what you see independent, you know, like I think that the, the, especially the people uh, in, in Southeastern Europe, but it's, it's generally, I have to say, a topic of the work developing world because I spend most of my vacations and free time in the developing world. That means in the Southern Hemisphere. Is it uh, Africa? Is it uh, Southeast Asia? Or is it uh, Latin America? And there, the, the situation there financially is not so far apart from, or, or economically is not so far apart from where the uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina or the region is, is, is currently. Yeah? And I have to say that there are certain traits which you, which you, which you notice. Um, one element uh, is is basically which you which you mentioned is that basically people should start looking forward and not backwards. You know, people should start talking about the different topics which are bringing you know like progress, which are common ground, and then from those common grounds, you know, uh, develop something that's maybe or discuss something that's more difficult to overcome to agree on and everything and i think this pragmatic approach problem is i think most of the people and i don't want to like, like you mentioned i don't, I don't want to, to to say it's it's like a general rule there are always amazing exceptions there but i have to say we even on the, not only on the i would say a level of the cultural groups ethnicities or uh, religious groups but also on the individual level, we often start to start on the topics which are not common, but which are different. We we sit, uh, we come to a room and we start talking about, uh, I don't know, situations, events, people, etc., where we disagree about. Instead of starting to talk about the elements where we where we agree about, where we have a, a clear, which are future oriented, which are helping our kids and not speaking about our grandparents, about our grand-grandparents or something that happened uh, centuries ago. That doesn't mean forego history. That doesn't mean forego tradition. I mean, look at uh, successful Germany is built. The modern Germany is built on understanding what has been done right and what has been done wrong in the history. Germany can be proud on many, many people, 
from its history can also be ashamed of a couple of uh, names from its history. And only comprising understanding that, but not putting that into the first into the first plane is one of the key elements to, 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 to progress. So first I would start with open mind, listen to the people. You don't have to agree with everything, but listen and try to understand empathically what's the perspective on another person, you know? This is already helping. And I'm not only speaking about the political topics, I said religious topics or others. I'm speaking also about the business topics, you know? If you, if you have uh, three persons from the Balkans sitting, uh, sitting for the first time at the, the, let's say, meeting for the first time at the conference, one will start persuading you that uh, the, the, the startup is the right way to go, the right career to pursue. The other one will say, no, I think the civil service is the best place to be. And the third one will say, and they will somehow, like, I'm, I'm of course oversimplifying, they might start fighting about it, you know, like, and the, the, the opposite way to be is to, to look what's good in all three sectors, yeah, and to discuss how can, let's say, startups learn something from the public sector? How can public sector get agile and get faster from the startups, et cetera? So this general open-mindedness uh, open is, is, would be the first step. Second step is, of course, activity. We should, what I see in successful countries is more action, less talk. We talk and talk and talk. And, and I'm again saying, I don't want to reduce it to, to Bosnia or reduce it to Southeastern Europe, countries of ex-Yugoslavia, or to, to reduce, I think it's a generally a topic in the developing world that some topics are easier to be discussed with or fight about or, or uh, philosophized about, you know, instead of being, let's say, approached, uh, uh, put into some frame, structured, and, 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 and in like moved, moved uh, step by step, step in, in the right direction. And maybe the, the third element, which is recognizable is that uh, uh, starting with these common grounds and starting with the action, that people also uh, uh, tend to, you know, like to, to help each other. Uh, and, and you can clearly see the difference um, uh, between the cultures which throughout the world um, look at both individuals or subgroups in an in a integrative way, in a way that they're uh, helping each other that let's say that someone is new in a city that they people try to help him and some other groups where you know like people somehow look at each other with envy you know like if he's successful the other one will not be successful therefore the the ways how we can you know tackle that is also like one of the elements is to through young people i had like um over the years especially in the in in, in my my role before this one i had people from 16 countries, yeah, 16 countries, young people from 16 countries, which were doing an internship, yeah? And and I said, people from Sarajevo, Banja Luka, from uh, uh, Podgorica, from uh, Zagreb, uh, from Skopje, from Belgrade, but also from countries such as uh, Uzbekistan and uh, uh, Albania and many others. And I enjoyed seeing them work without any... Uh, I, I would say they came there and they became immediately best friends. What connected them was not only the work, but the, the way how they want to change and, and, and make their environment noble and how they focus on that. And simply if we would apply these, I would say, common sense principles, yeah, I think that would already move, uh, move the, the region and, uh, and in general the, the, the trends there. And honestly, it's, once again, it's not only advice I would give to to someone from Southeastern Europe, I would give the same advice to someone in Sri Lanka, to someone in uh, um, uh, in the Middle East, to someone in in, in uh, countries of the Central and uh, Southern America or in, in, in Sub-Saharan Africa. You know, that's really insightful. And in line with everything that you said, uh, one positive news, uh, a, few year, a few days ago, students, pupils from Srebrenica, to kind of symbolize the ending of their school year, went out of school and uh, they took and presented all of the flags found in Bosnia and Herzegovina. I think the message was just, you know, you all people, you suck. We want to live together. Only if there is a will, you know? So if we talk about motivation, let's talk about that. It's often either the greatest enemy or the greatest friend for success to any individual. And often mm -hmm. people due to small or large hurdles, they just give up. And I believe that in your career path, you had many hurdles. What is your key motto to overcome such hardships? 
To, to be honest, I also have uh, uh, days where I where I where I'm looking forward to the to the evening or looking forward to the weekend or vacation. I have to say, for example, next week I'm starting the first major vacation in this year. I was already using some of my last year's vacation beginning of the year, but now I'm going for the first. I would say uh, a real real deal. And what I want to say. <clears throat> It's important that I also feel that from time to time I need a break. This helps me keeping up the motivation. That's why I choose the to visit the countries, to go to the countries where basically uh, 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 I'm not doing something that I'm doing usually. I'm not in front of my laptop. I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not, you know, having 20 meetings. I'm just walking around. That's why I climbed several mountains uh, or volcanoes. Uh, I also uh, spent lots of days in jungle in uh, many times slept in the desert or or those things why because this is something completely new it clears up my mind it uh, uh, confronts me with new situations but also enables me to meet uh, uh, various different people uh, very very different people and uh, through that distance after 10 or 15 days or even five days in some situations where i'm in completely different environment I get additional motivation. I get not only inspiration of, an, uh, let's say, like a like a like a boost of new ideas, but also motivation to to uh, keep up. Because every living person, independent how 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 uh, born, raised, or hardworking, or what kind of attitude, needs uh, uh, not the typical vacation where I'm when someone is sitting and drinking, uh, I don't know, uh, 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 juice at the beach. I'm thinking more of of a vacation where. People simply change the setup, change the environment, uh, um, change the, the the impulses around around themselves to get motivated. And then you have to, of course, when you're fully relaxed, also to to always think about the bigger picture while you're doing it. In the beginning, I have to say there was it was my development as well, yeah, because I was also not you know like uh, uh, um, uh, let's say born with all the the, the wise things, etc. It was also very very hard uh, and long uh, learning process for example in the beginning i remember you're thinking how to 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 basically optimize what you're doing for yourself maybe for your family you know and then you uh, then then you start being conscious about your family also about your future family and what you want to leave there uh, what you want to to develop and grow there then you go and look how you can help your all of your colleagues to grow young people to grow uh, uh, older people to get ready for the next phase, uh, uh, meaning uh, retirement or something else. So everyone uh, uh, goes into that into that mode where you continuously grow your and then you get to the I would say and I think that's the main main or the ultimate goal where you start thinking how what kind of legacy you want to leave. Not in sense of like you know you're gonna all be gone at some moment. So so that, in that kind of legacy, but in legacy in sense of that you help. And give your contribution to the world and the society, wherever you are. That means not only me from Germany helping the the, the the society where I was born and raised with, helping my hometown of Banja Luka. That means me helping also the uh, people of Hamburg, independent if it's homeless people, if it's uh, uh, students to to be coached, if it's uh, I don't know fire department uh, if they need volunteers. It means simply helping and trying to, to, to do something for the environment where you are. And it doesn't have to be only with money. It can be with great initiatives such as, for example, the, the Futures Foundation, but also great initiatives which uh, you can do in an individual uh, frame that you organize. I don't know. Now we were asked to, to help on the business perspective. Uh, we were asked to help, although it's not our core business. And I immediately accepted that, that we, for example, transport the oxygen to India, uh, which is struggling with uh, with the pandemics right now. All these things you have to put in the perspective and see, okay, first you do it for yourself, then you do it for yourself and your family, then you do it for yourself, family and, uh, and friends, then you do it for also for all the people in your business environment. And then I think the highest level of that kind of motivational maturity where you exactly know why are you doing things is when you know that you want to also help the broader society, maybe even the world, you know, uh, turning off the light in the evening when you don't need it is not only good for your wallet that you're not you know paying uh, electricity bill it's good for the world because less fossil fuels are, are being burned and and the world's going to be better place for our kids for our uh, grandkids uh, kids and, and and everyone else so this gives me a boost and i think only through work and only through private life 
only through hobbies I would not get this motivational boost. It's important that you combine the impulses from the different worlds and see always uh, both short-term goals and long-term goals. Borislav, you're so inspirational. I really enjoyed uh, the way you look at the world and the way you perceive things need to be done because it's perfectly aligned with everything that, that I stand for as well. And obviously, having, having this point of view means that you never have a boring day. You do have your ups and downs, but consistently you're motivated by bringing about positive change. And as you said, it starts from that small family unit, but it works its way, way up higher and higher as you become more accomplished as well. And that's one thing that we are trying to really establish in Bosnia-Herzegovina, for people to start thinking, especially young people in this generation, to start thinking beyond uh, the little borders that we put around our family home and what you can do to improve, as you said, your hometown and perhaps your village and then perhaps your city and then perhaps you know working your way up until you become a global citizen who's contributing to solutions that matter for everyone and you just mentioned a very good one reducing you know the carbon footprint which ultimately is everyone's problem just like COVID is everyone's problem at the moment so I want to give you an opportunity to directly speak to all the young people who are going to be listening to this podcast uh, in, in the next week or two what messages do you want to send them? Obviously, you've said a lot of stuff, but what direct messages do you want to send to them? Young people listening to your podcast thinking, wow, Borislav is an amazing uh, individual. I want to be like Borislav. I want to achieve what Borislav achieved. What messages do you want to send to them for this podcast? Uh, if, if I would, I would summarize it, I would say stay humble, stay hungry. Yeah. So continue being open, uh, open-minded, open for new opportunities. Also to take smaller risks. Uh, or, or I would not say smaller, take take controllable risks, take the risks you can, you can uh, process, um, uh, be open and good to the, to the people around you, not because someone says to do so, because it's a common sense and it's something that will come back in, 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 in come back to you as also as a, as a positive thing. And, and uh, uh, stay optimistic, stay, uh, don't be a blind optimist, but be, be something between re realist and optimist in a way that that you look for everything good in a day. Yeah? Today is a sunny, beautiful day in 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 my in, in the town where I am, and I have to say this is uh, this is a reason already to to start start the great uh, and and to be happy, and therefore start with these small things and and uh, work work from there. Be and and don't forget the whole life, all the good things that happen to you, and all the good career developments and all the good uh, society developments are rather a marathon than a quick 100-meter sprint. So have patience, yeah, and, and stay on it, yeah. This was really inspirational. Not just that you have given us more than we, we wanted, you actually, in advance, sometimes answer the questions that we actually wanted to ask you. And as Eddie said, um, we have today Bairam, and believe me, this is, for me, better than any Bairam program on TV that I've could have possibly watched today. So thank you so much. This was so useful. And I believe that all of the listeners, all of the audience are going to take away so many, uh, so many useful advice from you, starting from how to uh, use motivation. I mean, how to take break and uh, to use it as an opportunity for further uh, motivation and next, um, next accomplishments and um, how to embrace all cultures, how to, uh, how to, conduct change around yourself like thank you so very much Borislav. Aida it was really really a pleasure thank you both for having this let's call it Netflix for the smart people yeah <laughs> so, oh yeah because I it's, agree. It's, it's, through, through, through the podcast you're, you're inspiring so many people and 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 as you Aida you said it perfectly it's uh, basically a listening to any of the podcasts of these great people you've, you've, you've interviewed so far and you'll interview in the future. It's well-invested time. It's something that's, that's going to change and profoundly impact their lives way more than looking for a 45-minute uh, show on, on classical Netflix. Yeah, thanks, thanks again, Borislav, as well. I'm super excited that we got a chance to speak to you and uh, get to know you a little bit better and for the audience to really get to know uh, you as an individual as well as a professional. Wishing everyone a very enjoyable week and weekend, whatever you're doing. There you have it, folks. Again, another great episode from Futures Voices, and we look forward to seeing when you on our show again. Thank you so much, Borislav. Thank you, Aida, for joining me again.